Heavenly Father, we bow before your throne of grace, thanking you for the high priestly ministry of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. If it was not for him, today we would have been in sin, bondage, and even have no hope when we die. And we thank you, Lord, for the scripture that beautifully explains the supremacy of our beloved Savior in his priestly ministry. And give us your grace, O Lord. May we not be dull in hearing as the readers were here. May we be attentive listeners, work hard to understand, and give me the grace to preach with clarity so that we all would behold the glory of our Savior in this chapter. And we thank you so much for your word that is always instructing us and guiding us to live our lives according to your glorious purposes. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. You know, when I think about uh, the nation that we are living in, we have so many religions. And uh, one sad thing is that although India is known as a religious country where so many people believe in God, and they claim to be religious. But what drives them essentially is fear and greed. Fear of what would happen to you if you don't do that particular ritual. And greed that drives people in their devotion. They wanted to get their wants or they want to see that their desires are met. Very few people are interested to grow deeper in the knowledge of their deities. Very few people. What leads them is fear or greed. But when it comes to Christian faiths, when it comes to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, what we need to understand is that what drives our devotion is our love and longing and desire to behold the glory of God and our love for God. We want to know God as a result of it, we want to love God. And if that is not your motivation, and if you are impacted by this uh, religious country's tendency, I encourage you to come out of that freed and greed, fear and greed, and focus on the glory of God and our love for God. As I delve into the scripture, there is one thing. Some of you may be wondering, why should I know this Melchizedek? whose name I am hearing for the first time. Why should I delve into this complex passage? Brother, I have works to do. I have my personal problems. I have problems in the family. I have problems in the workplace. I have problems with the health. How in the world Melchizedek going to help me today? Speak something that meets my needs. We are not interested in this. But I want to show one scripture as we go ahead. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. Shall we all lift up our beautiful voices and read this scripture together. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You know, there is a command here that the Bible speaks about, you know. It's not just enough to believe in the Lord Jesus and have the assurance that my salvation is secure and I'm going to heaven. In the meantime, the Bible instructs us to grow. Not to be passive, not lukewarm, not stagnant, not dormant, not inactive. 
The Bible tells that we have to grow. If you are not a growing believer or a Christian, there are serious problems with you. And I told you in the past on press on to maturity. And the Bible tells that we have to grow. Grow in what? Knowledge of the culture, knowledge of the self, knowledge of the world. Now, although these are important, the Bible instructs us to grow in the knowledge of our Savior who made all things by the power of His wisdom for His own glory. We are obligated to grow as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ in the knowledge of the Savior. I love what uh, Bible expositor Stephen Cole comments. Hear this carefully what he says. If you want to endure hardship and even persecution... If you want God's blessings on your family and in your personal life, if you want to resist temptation and live a righteous life, seek God for a clearer vision of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beholding the glory of Christ is what we need. And if you are not interested in that, and if you are only interested in what benefits me and what what really speaks to my felt needs, you're missing an important jewel in the Christian life. And that is to grow in the knowledge of the Savior. And one way for us, as the scripture commands us to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, is to grow in the knowledge of how he became our high priest. And uh, we have seen that, that the scripture that we have seen, I uh, have preached five sermons from Hebrews chapter 11, and through chapter 6 to 20. I've given two sermons on Christ our sympathizer and savior. One sermon on present to maturity. Another sermon on the beginning is not the end. And the last previous sermon, perseverance of the saints till the end. And uh, we see that actually this is sandwiched between these two passages that I told you in the past. And that is what we see in Hebrews 5, 9 to 10. Hebrews 5, 9 to 10. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Right after he said that how Christ is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, we see strong words coming out of the author rebuking his readers for not being in a position to comprehend this great doctrine. They have not been growing. They have been dull in hearing. And we have seen strong words. And at the end, we see how it is uh, come, to, come to conclusion. After the rebuke and encouragement in Hebrews 6, 19 to 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We see that in chapter 5, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and also at the end of chapter 6, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and giving them a strong word of rebuke and exhortation, he gets to his main point that he wants to emphasize and pin down into the minds of his readers. And that is about Melchizedek. And how Christ is our high priest. And Hebrews chapter 7 to 10 speaks about one important doctrine for all believers should know to grow in the knowledge of the Savior. And that is how he has become our high priest. 
So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to keep reading chapters 7 through 10. If you don't have a grip on that, if you don't have a clarity on that, if you don't read that and just come here and passively listen, most of it will not get into your mind. So please prepare yourself and come together. And I'll be very thematic in this so that uh, you would not be bogged down by so many details of uh, verse by verse, but I would be very thematic. And we see here that we, we, think about Christ, uh, uh, we think about Christ being a high priest and the author mentioning about him from chapter 7. But actually much before that, he begins about how Christ is our high priest. And if you want to see the flow, the train of thought of the author throughout the book of how Christ is our high priest, we must first look at verse 14 in chapter 4. Verse 14 in chapter 4. And this is where he begins and goes chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter to exalt the supremacy of the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how he begins. He says that since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So what he's telling is that if the basis... The foundation, the benchmark for believers to hold fast to their confession is to comprehend how Christ is our supreme high priest. And particularly, the author is comparing the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Levitical priesthood that we find in the Old Testament. So let me first explain to you who is the high priest and what is the role of the high priest and then we can have a better understanding of how Christ is our high priest. And what we understand from the Holy Bible is that the word priest, just the word priest, appears over 700 times in the Old Testament and over 80 times in the New Testament. Now this should help us to understand how crucial is for us to know what it means to be a priest. And it all begins actually much before Genesis 12. But for us to understand how the author compares to the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood all begins with the promise God gives to Abraham saying that. I will bless you and multiply you and make you a father of many nations. That we find in Genesis chapter 12. And then what happened? How did the Lord bless him and multiply him? The scripture begins like this. The way the promise given to Abraham has been fulfilled in this way. Abraham begat Isaac. And then we see that Isaac begat Jacob. And then we also see that Jacob begat 12 sons and one daughter. Out of which Levi was one of the sons of Jacob. He was the third son of Jacob born through Leah and not through Rachel. And what happened after that? Levi begat Kohath, and Kohath begat Amram, and Amram begat Moses and Aaron. And many of us may not be knowing that the great grandfather of Moses and Aaron was Levi. Great grandfather was he. And the scripture explains to us what is the role of high priest. Now, I have left some portion in the past. From chapter 5. Today I will be covering it. And continue through chapter 7. Hebrews 5.1 
clearly in one sentence explains who are the high priests. Even if you don't understand completely, this one verse explains who the high priests of God are. Chapter 5 verse 1. Shall we all read this together? For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices. Let me dissect it for our better comprehension. The first thing that it says that how are high priests chosen? How were they chosen? It says that they were chosen from among men. Now that word men is very important. Only men were chosen to become high priests. The Bible is very clear for us in telling that both men and women are created in the image of God. Both men and women become the children of God. Both men and women conform to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no discrimination in the identity, value and worth of men and women. But the Bible also teaches in functionality there is authority and there is submission. And we see that God has raised men to be the authority and head leading the women and children in the ways of the living God. And that is why we also see that when it comes to high priest, there was no single woman who became a high priest in the Old Testament. The Bible tells that only men became high priests. Not that they are better than women. It is only that in function, God, according to his good purpose, has chosen men to become high priests. And then the Bible also says why God has chosen from among men. It says that they were appointed, now hear carefully, it clarifies, this is the main ministry of high priests. They were appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Now what does it speak about? That they were mediators. They were the lawyers. They were the intermediates. Who, who, who were representing men to God. Actually if you see about king. Kings represented God to people. The authority. But priests represented people to God. And why mediator is required? Why these high priests were required? It says that they were appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To, to, to represent people to God. Why can't people approach God directly? Why can't people behold the glory of God directly? Why can't they have fellowship with God directly? Why these people? Because the Bible declares that God is a God of holiness. God is a God who hates sin. God is a God who punishes sin. And in order for these sinful people not to fall under the condemnation of God, who don't deserve the presence of God, who don't deserve to approach the holy God, because God is infinitely holy, majestic, just and righteous. God has appointed priests so that you people represent these sinful people who cannot approach my presence because of my holiness. And if they approach my presence because of their sin, they will die. No sinner can approach the holy God in their sinfulness and yet be alive. And God didn't want people to die in his holy presence, so he appointed this priest so that these priests can be mediators between the righteous judge God and the sinners. 
And they can come and atone for the sins of these people so that they would not face the wrath of God. So high priests were greatly required. And why are they required to act on behalf of men to God? The Bible immediately says that to offer gifts and sacrifices for what? For sins. As I told you in the past, they were not chosen for to offer gifts and sacrifices for sickness. Not for poverty, not for unemployment, not for some family problems. Sin was the biggest problem. Sin is still the biggest problem. And no sinner can approach the holy God. And because of sin, people are perishing. People, listen to this carefully. The more you realize sin is the greatest problem in your life more than anything, the more you understand the glory of God. And the more you understand the necessity of the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are living in a generation where preachers, teachers, sad to say, have, are making sin blur. And they are making God as only the provider, not as a holy God, just God, righteous God. He is there to provide you. He is there to bless you. And whatever job problems you have, whatever family problems you have, whatever sicknesses you have, whatever financial crisis you have, God is there to meet which is of course true in a secondary sense, but most importantly, the holiness of God is hidden from the churches today. And the depravity of man is unrecognized among many believers today. And because of that, people are not growing, knowing, loving, submitting to the authority of the living God. And I caution you people, be careful of present day Christianity, which is engrossed in materialism. And prosperity and physical healing and health and wealth and all these are really driving people. And preachers are the main culprits and God will hold them judgment in judgment because they did not faithfully represent the holiness of the Lord. And I'm telling you this carefully and hear this. If there was no sin, there was no need of high priests. High priest came because of sin. And unless we understand the holiness of God and depravity of our hearts, we don't appreciate the necessity and significance of the high priest. And quickly, I would like to share with you how Christ is the great and better high priest than the Levitical priests. And who are the Levitical priests? I told you, right? They came through the lineage of Abraham, Jacob, and Levi. So I have given you the worksheets. Uh, not worksheets, sorry. Uh, just a chart sheet. So that uh, there is a lot of information here. Quickly, I will go through it. And I, I, it's not there here because it was very difficult. I put that into table form so that it is easier for you to understand. Right? And let me show to you how Levitical priests were ineffective and how Christ is better than... The Old Testament Levitical priests. The first thing that we see about the Old Testament Levitical high priests is that they were imperfect. They were not perfect high priests. That's the reason Christ had to come. We see that in chapter 5 verse 2. Please open your Bibles carefully. And if you don't have the sheet, please look at the person who is having next to you. Because if you don't look at it, it's very difficult for you. Please don't depend on your hearing. Look at the sheet so that it would be very helpful for you to understand. Right? Imperfection of the high priest we see in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Since he himself is beset with weakness. It says here that the high priests were weak people. 
They were sinful people. And if the interesting thing is, you need to see that is is making this statement in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ, which we will come later. We see also in chapter 5, verse 3. What does it say? Because of this, he is obligated. Because of he being weak and sinful, these Old Testament high priests were obligated to offer sacrifices first for his own sins. Because he is sinful, he offers sacrifice not only for people, first for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. We also see in chapter 7 verse 28 about the imperfection of the Old Testament high priest. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. Sinful people, the law appointed men as high priests. But you see... How in comparison to this Old Testament high priest, how supreme is Christ the high priest? Because of their imperfection, the perfect high priest had to come into the scene for the salvation of sinners. We see that in Hebrews 4.15, how Christ was perfect. Praise be to God for this perfect high priest. In chapter 4 verse 15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every Respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. They were with sin and they were sympathizing in their sinfulness. But here we see Christ who sympathizes with us, yet he was without sin. Hallelujah for this perfect Lord Jesus Christ. We also see in Hebrews 7 verse 26. Hear this, what it says. For it was indeed fitting... That we should have such a high priest in contrast to the Old Testament high priest. And how was he? You see the beautiful description of the attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ here. One of the reasons why there are no more worshippers today. Very few worshippers today is because they don't study the character of God, attributes of God, so that they can become the worshippers of God. What they all want God to do is meet my needs and solve my problems. But see this attribute of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that, and this high priest, how was he? The Bible says that he was holy. He was without sin. And then it says innocent. He never tasted sin. Although he knew. Innocence means you have the knowledge of what sin is, but you have never experienced it. Very innocent Christ was. Never knew what it is to lie. Never knew what it is to commit adultery. Never knew what it is to become sinfully angered because he was innocent. And the Bible also says that he was unstained, which means again, in different words, he was without blemish. And then it says separated from sinners. Now when the Bible says separated from sinners, it doesn't mean that he did not have fellowship with sinners. We knew that while Jesus walked on the earth, he ate with sinners, he fellowship with sinners. What it means is that he did not partake in the sinful lifestyle of sinners. He was with them, but unlike them. And then it says that an exalted above the heavens, it speaks about Christ's resurrection, ascension, and glorification. This is who Jesus Christ is that he explains. Our great high priest, far better than the Old Testament praise. And why is he convincing these readers? Because they were tempted to go back to Judaism. 
thinking that the law is the answer the old testament high priesthood is the answer and he was telling them no 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 that is nullified they were ineffective christ is a better person look to him for he is our refuge and you see what it says in hebrews 728 hebrews 728 for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests but the word of the oaths which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever he was a perfect high priest and even if you see how he became a perfect high priest it speaks about him how he proved his perfection on the cross hebrews 5:8 to 9 says let us all read together although he was a son he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him how he became the source of eternal salvation by becoming a perfect high priest so we see that christ is supreme because he is perfect the old testament priests were imperfect and then we see the other comparison contrast that we find between the levitical priests and the christ being the high priest and that is the old testament priests offered sacrifices regularly we find that in hebrews 7 verse 27 whenever i read the i quote the scripture let us all read together so that we can engage with the text okay hebrews 7:27 he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people if you are a careful reader when you read this this should confuse you because this seems to be little different from yom kippur right the day of the atonement where once in a year the high priest goes into the holy of holies and sheds blood on the uh, on the ark in order to satisfy the justice of god you need to understand that there were two kinds of sacrifices one was daily every day the altar should be consumed with sacrifices for sin which is in the morning if you read exodus 29 later sometime if you are interested you can read exodus 29 where you see that a sacrifice every day throughout the year was offered in the morning and offered in the evening imagine people if there was no christ now what would be your stage and my stage <laughs> this is what we might have been doing every day morning and evening because of sin god hates sin people every time you think about the sacrifice don't think about him like kali of india where they only think about you know it's not about the holiness matter it's not about the sin matter it is something you know they are blood suckers kind of an understanding no god of the holy bible is unlike them these sacrifices were offered constantly in order to satisfy the righteous justice of god so that god in his anger would not consume the whole mankind in his holiness and righteousness so that these sins would be atoned for every day and then we also see that in hebrews chapter 9 verse 25 to 26 it says here that shall we all read this together nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world you see that even 1011 and every priest stands daily at his sacrifice offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take sins away people just imagine how many tons and tons of liters of blood was shedding 
all through the year just think about the blood that was coming out of the animal how many animals were sacrificed all through the year many 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 sacrifices of animals why only because of sin and blood should be offered for that which is which is very very strange for us who live in a different uh, um, you know uh, dispensation and if you see in about Christ here hebrews chapter 7 verse 27 hearken this carefully people don't be dull in your hearing awaken and listen carefully this is the word of the lord and we have to understand this we are bound to know this word how christ has offered once and for all in contrast to the regular sacrifices of the high priest hebrews 7 verse 27 it says shall we all read this together he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself also read hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 but as it is he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself again hebrews 10 verse 12 but when christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of god praise be to god for the high priestly ministry here who once and for all single sacrifice offered for sins no need to offer repeated sacrifice like the old testament priests and then he speaks about how christ is supreme and better than the old testament high priest in mortality and immortality it is not immoral immorality is immortality immortality means no end of life okay we see that mortality how mortal the old testament priests were in hebrews chapter 7 verse 23 let's read together the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office what does it say just as repeated sacrifices were offered repeatedly there should be priests after priests why because they would live only for a short time and die and then it says in 78 let's all read together in the one case tithes are received by mortal men who succumbed to mortality and they died but then we see in hebrews 7 verse 23 Hebrews 7 verse 23 and what does it say the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office but he holds his high priesthood permanently because it continues forever what does it say he was a priest permanently not like the old testament high priests who were only for a time and then you see in hebrews 7 15 to 17 little longer but let's read together to understand how christ is immortal i priest this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life for it is witnessed of him you are a priest forever after the order of melchizedek do you understand what it says here it says here that christ is our high priest for ever and because of him we don't need to sacrifice continuously because his priestly ministry is eternal and you see also 
in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 6, four times people, four times it says, Hebrews 5 verse 6, Hebrews 6 verse 20, Hebrews 7 verse 17, Hebrews 7 verse 21, four times it is repeated, the exact phrase repeated. And what does it say? You are a priest forever. Very different from the mortality of the Old Testament priest. And second, and then thirdly, we see that it speaks about, uh, uh, the, fourthly, we see that how Christ has become a high priest in the oaths and how the Old Testament priest became high priest according to the law. Hebrews 7.11, it says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. Now what does it say? The Levites became priests based on the law. We also see in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 4. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Observe the word law. Again, Hebrews 7.28, what does it say? For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. Now, what do we understand from that? How did these people become high priests? According to the law. But how did Christ become a high priest? It says here, if you remember my last sermon, I told you that, that Christ became, uh, I, I told you the difference between the promise of God and the oath of God. And what is a promise? Promises the assurance of what you will do. And the oath is on the basis on which the promise is fulfilled. And God always took oath by himself. Why? Very good. There was no one greater than him. Now you see what it says about the oath after which Christ became the high priest. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 5. It says here that so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. But was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We see that this has been cited from Messianic Psalm in chapter 2 verse 7. That you are my son, today I have begotten you. On what basis he became son? By the oaths that the father has declared by himself. We see that also now in Hebrews 7, 20 to 21. Let's read together. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath. By the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So how did he become a high priest? By the oath of the father who himself declared that you are my son and you are a priest forever. Hebrews 7.28 also says that for the law appoints men in their weaknesses high priests. But the word of the oaths which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now, you know, yesterday I was talking to the interns and I was appreciating one thing about God is that the way he respects order. He is the one who makes the law and he can break the law. Just like the way we do. But God is not the one who makes the law and breaks the law. He makes the law and he reveres the law. Follows the law. And there is a principle, order in everything that he does. Why there was a need, I was talking yesterday that, why there was a need for Christ to die on the cross. God might have just said that, your sins are forgiven. But he respects justice. He respects righteousness. He respects atonement for sin to satisfy his righteous indignation. Because of which 
we see how God made Christ in the order of his oaths. That according to the word of his oaths, he became priest forever. Now come to the main point that he comes now. He says, now how the Old Testament priests have become high priests and how Christ became a high priest, where also you see the wisdom of God, how we respected the order here. On what order? If God is a God of order, how did he appoint his son Christ? Can he just appoint him like that? No, he cannot be. Because God respects law. And how did he do that? It says that in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 4. How the Old Testament priest became high priest. How? And no one takes this honor for himself. But only when called by God. Just as Aaron was. What did he say? Oh God, today, uh, this year I want to become a high priest. Would you like to make me a high priest? No, there is no personal wish or desire. No, that's not like that. He should be a high priest called by God after the priestly line of Aaron. If you are not from the lineage of Aaron, no one can become high priest. Not even the Levites. After the order of Aaron. So how did Christ become high priest? Now you see... How we argues over here, one argument after the other, how Christ became high priest. How? Hebrews 5, 13 to 14. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from where? He didn't descend from Aaron, who was from a priestly line. He descended from Judah, from what line? From the line of the kings. So how can a king become a high priest? Do we find anywhere where a king became a high priest? Nowhere we see that. But we see here that Christ came from the line of Judah. And in connection with the tribe, you see what he says. Moses said nothing about priests. Which means what? No one can become a priest after the order of Judah. No one can become a priest. So, if this is the case, if God himself says this, then how can he make Christ the high priest? Is the argument. Since the Lord Jesus descended from kingly line, he cannot become. And according to the tradition, it is said that to call a descendant of Judah a high priest would have been wholly unacceptable to Jewish tradition. No, they cannot be. So how? He says now in Hebrews 5.6. Now you see how many times it is said. Hebrews 5, 6. Let's read together. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How do you become a priest? After the order of Melchizedek, cited in Psalm 110 verse 4, the messianic prophecy that we see. And then again we see in Hebrews 5, 9 to 10, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of, of Melchizedek. Again, you see Hebrews 6.20. Here Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, you see Hebrews 7.15-17. to 17. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How many times it is mentioned, 
Christ is high praised after the order of Melchizedek. How many times? One, two, three, four, four times. Emphasis after emphasis. How Christ has become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But what would be the question for us now? Who in the world is Melchizedek? For me to believe that Christ is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So are you all persevering? I know that this is very academic. This is not a motivational, inspirational preaching. This is the beauty of expositional preaching. Why? Even in exhaustion, you have to still expose the word of God. <laughs> right? Now you see how Christ is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now who is Melchizedek? So since Christ is, the argument is that since Christ is not from the Levitical high priesthood, which is in the order of Melchizedek, how is Christ's priesthood justified? It is justified in the order of Melchizedek. But who was Melchizedek? Now here is an important point that I would like to tell you. I don't know how many of you have come and sat here reading Hebrews 7. I'm telling you brethren and sisters. If you're not reading and coming here, you're not a serious listener of the word of God. And I'm telling you, please take this word of correction and rebuke. It is not good for you. You don't obey a man's word who tells you to read the scripture. What would you do by sitting here, listening to the word? What is the guarantee of your obedience to the scripture? You're wasting your time here. <laughs> Please be serious. When, when shepherds, elders tell you to do something, it is for your own good. If you're doing it, praise God. If you have just come here and sat here without any seriousness and preparation, I say this to your shame. Please become serious in your faiths. And don't become a casual attender and uh, listener of the word of God. Okay? Because, or else you don't get it. If you just hear for the first time, this is very hard passage. You don't get it. If you read the whole chapter 7, you know what is interesting? The whole chapter 7 is only indicative. It just declares. It just indicates. It just describes. There is not a single commandment in this entire chapter, except one. You know what is the only commandment it says? And this is your commandment also. If it is a commandment, you should take it very seriously. And what is that? In verse 4. This is the only where it says a commandment. In many verses of this chapter. And what is the commandment here? See how great this man was. <laughs> this is the only imperative in the entire chapter. See, behold, think about this man. About whose man? No, Melchizedek. And how many of you have obeyed this command in your life? <laughs> and this is what the Bible says that you need to know this man. If you don't know this man, you don't know who Christ is. In the sense of his high priesthood. See how great this man was. Where do you find about this man in the Old Testament? Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 14 is where you find for the first time and the last time. And then we see in the Messianic Psalm, in Psalm 110 through David, we says you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's the second time. Only the name appears, nothing about him. And the third time we see in the entire Bible, his name appears is in Hebrews chapter 7. And even six also, we see that from there, we see about these people. 
I don't want to read the entire passage because it may be very difficult for you, but just give you a background about how Melchizedek has come up. You know that in Genesis 12, God promised to Abraham to leave his country and to go to the place where he shows so that he can bless him and multiply him. And along with Abraham, who went? Lot went. Lot doesn't mean many people went. Lot is the name of the person. <laughs> I'm afraid because people are like that. <laughs> lot, lot of people went. <laughs> lot, a person went along with Abraham. And then we see that the Bible says that their cattle began to multiply. And then when their cattle began to multiply, what happened? There was a strife between the men of Abraham and the men of Lot. So much so that Abraham thought about now we cannot live together. We have to multiply. That's the reason Ecclesia is multiplying. <laughs> now we have to multiply. We have to go to another place. We have to separate because there is a strife between Telugu people and English people. Before the people of Abraham and before <laughs> between. No. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> there is no such thing. There is a strife between the men of Abraham and the men of Lord. So you see the humility of Abraham, what he says. You choose whatever you land you want. It is not, he is the elder, he can choose. But he says, he gives him the priority. You go ahead, you see the land that you like, and you choose. And Abraham and Lot saw Sodom and Gomorrah. Beautiful land. Not people, but the land was beautiful. And he chose. And he went and settled there. And after that, the surrounding countries, the kingdoms of the kings, had a war against Four kings, we see that in Genesis chapter four, 14 that four kings waged war against five kings. I don't want to tell their names because it doesn't matter anyway, you don't remember. So these four kings, the surrounding kingdoms waged war against five kings and out of which Sodom and Gomorrah, two kings were there among the five kings. So these four kings defeated these five kings, which means Sodom and Gomorrah was defeated. And when they defeated this place, they took captive all the men and the cattle and the women and the children. That's what the people do when they conquer a place. And they took along with them even Lot. Even Lot also was taken. His positions, men, children, all were hijacked. All two were taken captive to their land. And when Abraham hears about it. Now interesting thing is, we think of Abraham as a coward who just lied. Men and women, he was a warrior. The five kings could not defeat these four kings. This one man took his 318 trained men and he went just on the way. He fought against all these kings and his men and he defeated him. Could you imagine how great a warrior Abraham was? And he brought back Lot and even his men and women, children, possessions, everyone who brings them back. And when he brought them back as a victor, as a warrior, and as a person who defeated them, this is what the scripture says in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 20. Now hear this carefully. What did he do after he returned to, uh, from, from the warfare he defeated? It says in 17, after his return from the defeat of Kedalomor and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiveh. That is the king's valley. Now here the hero comes into the picture. <laughs> and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the most high God. 
And he blessed him and said to him, people, there is so much to learn in his blessings. You know what he says? Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. I love that attribute of God. He possesses. He possesses the whole heavens and the earth are his. Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Whom did he acknowledge? What is the secret of Abraham's victory? These five kings could not defeat this one man with his 318 men just goes, defeats all these five strong kings and brings Lord back. How could he do that? He says, blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. The reason for your success and defeat is because of God who possesses the heavens and the earths. Praise be to the name of the Lord. And then we see the most discouraging phrase, which many people don't like. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. <laughs> now let's come back to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Based on that information, the author gives here. Let's come back. Come back and see Hebrews 7, 1 to 3. Let's go fast now and understand who this Melchizedek is. And the author explains him. And he says, for this Melchizedek, who is this Melchizedek? The first thing it says is what? King of Salem. Right? He was a king. He was a political leader. King of Salem. We will see what Salem means later. And then secondly, what do we see? Priest of the most high God. And what did he do, priest? He represented men to God. He was a mediator between God and people. And third, what do we see? He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Later I will explain how he is supreme even over Abraham. Because the Jews thought Abraham was the final hero of all our faith. But he goes beyond and says that Melchizedek is supreme than Abraham. And then you see the fourth one, what do we see? He is, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And what is the king? We have a Hebrew scholar here, Anthony. What is that? Melchizedek. And what is Melchizedek? Melchi means king. And Zedek means righteousness. He was the king of righteousness. What a blessed country it is to have a king who is a righteous king. Because all the nations of the earth, we see that there is no righteousness. And when there is no righteousness, there is no peace. And then he explains what Salem means. Then he is also the king of Salem, which means the king of peace. Now, it is only here we see that Melchizedek is both the king of peace and the king of righteousness. In fact, he is the king of peace because he is the king of righteousness. Because peace often flows from righteousness. Praise God. And I love what Psalm 8510 says. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. <laughs> they smooch each other. Righteousness and kiss and peace. And that is what we see in Melchizedek. And now we see the controversial thing here. Oh, here is a controversy. <laughs> it says here, he, he is without father or mother or genealogy. Now, <clears throat> people think that he had no parents. Right? He was just, now how was he born then? At least Jesus is also had a parent. <laughs> isn't it? Not, not, uh, not, not in the way that we have, but he was born through the Virgin Mary and... Um, 
that is how it came but how people listen to this i i studied a lot on this and even i had a misunderstanding but I, in my study what i have understood is that when the author here is speaking about without father or mother or genealogy he is speaking in the context of high priestly context because how did the priest became priest their father was examine who is the father of him because ultimately they should connect to whom aaron so but here we see that melchizedek had no priestly line of family he had no father who was a priest he had no genealogy you know what is the interesting thing if you read genesis you know what is the interesting thing do you find genealogies it's very important for jews genealogy is very important and i believe god in his sovereignty has omitted the genealogy of melchizedek in order to bring his only son in the order of melchizedek we don't know who the father is speaking about the silence here he is not speaking about that uh, literally melchizedek did not have parents that's not the argument he is speaking about the silence there silence there is nothing mentioned in genesis that's what he's telling if you see there is nothing mentioned about his father about his mother about his uh, uh, genealogy there is nothing and then he says later having neither beginning of days nor end of life now this is another thing actually people think that he was eternal there now in the context seen carefully i believe that in my study and many bible scholars agree that this speaks about if you if you if you see the aaronic or levitical priesthood there is a limited term of office there is a time for them to become a high priest and there is a period for which they became a high priest i'll show you one example of that but before that let me just quote what simon christmaker who is a very good bible scholar says that he says that a priest assumed his priestly duties as soon as the first signs of manhood made their appearance but according to rabbinical tradition he was not actually installed till he was 20 years age the period of service for a priest might cover 20 to 30 years but the end would come there is a term limit for people to become priests now the author seems to be arguing here do you see any term period for him when did he begin his priestly priestly ministry when did he end his priestly ministry is not speaking about eternality there although the notion may be there but we see that now but we see that there is nothing mentioned there in order for you for me to give you a proof of priestly uh, term limit in luke chapter 1 verse 23 i found out when i was thinking about um, uh, elizabeth husband john the baptist father about zechariah you know what it says in verse 23 only one verse i'll show you after and when his time of service was ended his high priestly office is ended he went to his home there was a term limit he did not have any term limit right now please bear with me to i can explain this in my own words but i had to read this as it is for you to understand that about who is melchizedek actually who is melchizedek there are different kinds of views some people say he was uh, aaron's son shame and it may be a christophany christophany means the physical appearance of christ in the old testament for a period of time 
or some people say some other things, but I'm convinced of this interpretation based on my study and research. I believe this is true. People can have and hold other opinions, that's fine, but this is what my argument is based on this. And I would like to just uh, uh, quote Dennis Johnson's uh, very good Bible commentator's quote here in order for you to understand. Follow carefully who this Melchizedek is. This is where there are a lot of controversies, okay? Melchizedek is set apart from ordinary human experience by these five missing pieces. We find these five missing pieces in Genesis 14. What is that? Father, mother, family tree, birth, death. Nothing is mentioned. Some have understood this description as teaching that the priest king who met Abraham was a supernatural manifestation of God in human form, which is theophany. Specifically, an appearance of God the Son in human history before his incarnation, which is Christophany. However, it is more probable that our preacher does not view Melchizedek as a Christophany. If it is that, it is like saying Christ is high priest in the order of Christ. Does it make sense? I don't think so. Rather, he treats the silences of Genesis 14, facts about the historical Melchizedek that Moses omitted from the divine author to portray that ancient priest king as resembling the son of God. It also fits the natural reading of the Genesis account, which presents Melchizedek as holding an established political position as king of Salem, unlike theophany accounts in which God appearances are brief and extraordinary. This is a powerful argument. If you see all theophanies and Christophanies, it was just for a moment. God appears in the human form and he reveals his glory, disappears. But here he was not a mere appearance. He was a political leader. The king of Salem. The king of righteousness. Stephen Cole, another Bible expositor. And uh, I'll go further after mentioning this. And what he says is that a few have interpreted Melchizedek's lack of genealogy and the next phrase that he had neither beginning of days nor end of life to mean that he was a superhuman, either an angel or a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. But the vast majority of commentators reject that interpretation and agree that Melchizedek was simply a great man who lived at the same time as Abraham. And that's what I believe also. And what does he resemble? It says that he resembles the son of God. He continues a priest forever. What it shows is that God brought Melchizedek in the history of the world to resemble the son of God the Lord Jesus Christ. How does it resemble? Quickly follow what it says. Melchizedek was a high priest without a priestly family. Therefore, Christ also is a high priest without a family line of priests. He was chosen directly by God and made priest by oaths. It seems same Melchizedek also became a high priest by oaths. Secondly, Melchizedek was identified both as king and priest. No one in the history of the Bible was both a king and a high priest except Melchizedek. And Christ also has the title of a king and priest. And third, Melchizedek was both a king of righteousness and a king of peace. Christ also is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Hallelujah. Now, what is the argument that he makes now? I am coming close. Bear with me. As I'm going because I don't want to continue next Sunday. I want to finish this. Hebrews 7, 7 says, It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the... Who is inferior here? Abraham. And who is superior here? 
now here the argument how now now why is he arguing also you need to see this is where people i appreciate the wisdom and the reasoning and the logic of the bible it is not a senseless mindless book it is filled with reasoning and logic and you see that why is he arguing that melchizedek is superior over abraham now see the beauty and the wisdom of god here first he says melchizedek was superior to abraham because abraham paid tithes to melchizedek that shows that melchizedek was greater because abraham paid tithes to him in 7:4 it says that hebrew 7:4 which is a, a recollection of uh, genesis 14 see how great this man was to whom abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils now you need to understand there was no mosaic law at that time it is a mosaic law that instructs people to give tithes and even without the mosaic law this man gave tithes people still didn't give even after mosaic like him and even in grace actually people should give more they don't more give at all <laughs> i don't believe that is true and i believe ecclesia is one of the very generous churches that i found in this world hallelujah praise the lord i purposely <laughs> one of the i said i didn't say the definite article no as an indefinite article <laughs> okay now you see here the argument that he makes also is that that levi himself also paid not even abraham paid he says levi levi is the one who receives all the tithes he himself paid tithes to melchizedek how you see in 75 it says and those descendants of levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people that is from their brothers though these also are descended from abraham now see 810 in the one case tithes are received by mortal men but in the other case by one of whom it is testified that he lives one might even say that levi himself who receives tithes paid tithes to melchizedek through abraham why because he was still in the loins loins means he was still in the body of his ancestor when melchizedek met him so when abraham met him when he gave tithes and levi was about to come through the lineage of abraham so when abraham paid tithes to melchizedek even levi paid tithes to melchizedek the whole descendants of abraham paid tithes to melchizedek when what is he proving that melchizedek is greater than abraham now second way how melchizedek is greater than abraham is that he says melchizedek blessed abraham <laughs> who blesses abraham now i tell that satish comes and says uh, hey brother shankar i want to bless you what will you say how arrogant is he fellow that <laughs> he goes and tells brother shankar elder of the i want to bless you because who blesses the greater blesses the inferior that's the argument he makes here melchizedek blessed abraham hebrews 7:1 to 2 says for this melchizedek king of salem priest of the most high god met abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him and to him abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything you see that he says he blessed him even 767 it says but this man melchizedek who does not have the descent from them received tithes from abraham and blessed him who had the promises it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior now the point is that if abraham gave tithes to melchizedek and melchizedek blessed him so what you know so what now hear carefully melchizedek was supreme to Abraham second Melchizedek if Melchizedek is supreme to Abraham Melchizedek high priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood of Abraham third 
Melchizedek had no priestly line and was unique in his priesthood. Therefore, Christ is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek whose high priesthood is supreme to the Old Testament priests. Do you see the wisdom and the argument there that he's presenting? He could just say that he can become. But God respects the order and he makes an argument, strong argument about how Christ is a better high priest. Because he had to prove that Melchizedek is better than Abraham. And then Melchizedek has no family line like the Aaron and all the high priests had. In order to prove that how is supreme high priesthood exalted and how Christ is in the order of Melchizedek. And now I want to leave you with this one verse of encouragement. Therefore what? You know what it says? In, I want to read 416 and then want to read 725. You know what it says? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And now same word, draw near, draw near. The whole Bible filled with comfort and warnings and threatenings and exhortations is to do only one thing. To make people draw closer to God. Not to scare people away from God. 725 you see that. Consequently, Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. It says here that this is the whole thing actually because no sinner can approach the holy God and sinner is doomed to eternal destruction and the Old Testament high priesthood never solved the sin permanently and that is found solution in the high priest ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says here, come people, come to this God whom you fear, whom you tremble, who thinks that he is so holy that you cannot draw to him. No, 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 no. This God is so loving and gracious and compassionate. Though he is holy, he wants you to him. That's the reason he sacrificed his own son as a high priest on our behalf. So come to him. And if there is anyone over here, an unbeliever, Anyone who never believed in the gospel, you may be praying or studying the Bible, going to church, but never ever experienced the salvation of the Lord Jesus. I want to invite you, come to this high priest who descended from heaven on earth, who became a man one among us, who took our sins upon himself, who died for our sins on the cross, and who rose from the dead. And only because of him... You can go to heaven. Only because of him, you can receive the free gift of eternal life. And only because of him, you can have the bold access to the throne of grace. Why do you reject him? Come to the Savior today. And if you are a believer, take this encouragement. My dear brothers and sisters, draw near to God in your sin and suffering. Don't run away from him. Listen to this carefully. You need God the most when you are the weakest. The more you sin, the more you suffer, the more you need God who can save you. It's not that you run away from God because of that. Come. Come to him. And the Bible says that draw near to God through Christ. God will never ever receive any person apart from Christ. No priesthood, no access to God because only Christ has paid the atonement for the sins of people. He satisfied the righteous justice of God because of Him. God accepts you. 
That's why the Lord Jesus said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one, none, none, none can come to the Father except through me. And we need him every day. Every day when you come to God, you go through Christ. And people, here is a good news. You know what? Whether you have struggled in the past or today or future, Christ is able to save you to the uttermost. You know, when I struggled with sin, some of the sins that I was battling this year, uh, this week, and this verse has given me so much of life. Sometimes I thought about, man, I'm not going to change anything. Why do I struggle with my sinful heart in this way? And this verse says that Christ is able to save. If Christ is not able to save, then gospel is a lie. If gospel is a lie, why do I believe in him? Why do I preach about him? That's an insult to the power, full, saving, redeeming, saving us grace of God. And that encouraged me, Lord, I said that I believe that you are able to change me. You are able to bring me out of my weaknesses. You are able to deliver me from all sins. There is no sin that you cannot deliver from. Your word is truth, not my feelings, not my past experiences, not my weakness. God, Christ is able to save to the uttermost. But how does he save? Draw near to him. The problem with us is we don't draw near to him. We run to the entertainment. We run to the people. We run to the world. We run here and there, but we don't pour our hearts at the feet of God and say that, Lord, I am weak and fragile and helpless. I need you and I come to you through your son. Would you save me? And he shall come and save you. And finally, this verse says that he always lives to make intercession. For us. Whether as I see some people, some of us confessing, I'm not praying for the church, which is sin actually if you don't pray for one another. But whether people pray or not, there is one person who is interceding for us. And who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament priests only atone, but we have a high priest better than the Old Testament priest who not only atone for our sins, he still lives to intercede for us. I love what Robert Mary Maxine says. He says that. I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room. Maybe when you are tempted with anger or pornography and all, you can remind Christ is praying for me in the next room. How can I watch this? How can I do these sinful things? You know, it says that, he says that I, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Christ is praying for each one of us. That you would not perish. That you would not give away your faith. That you would not draw back. That you would not be in the bondage of sin. He's praying for us. So people, arise. Let us draw near to him. Persevere in him. And never leave him. And never ever leave him. He is our only life and strength. I want you to read. I want to leave a note. Please read chapter 7 to 10. And that will be tougher than this today. I don't understand. Did you find it easy to run with me today? This is, a sp this is only a sprint. Okay, the next week will be marathon. <laughs> Read, beg you, don't harden yourself, just stare at me. You say me anything, I'm not going to read. Please don't be like that. <laughs> read. Read chapter 7 to 10. Why? Because this is where I build my own argument next Sunday. What is that? Hebrews 7.22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant, which is better than the old covenant, the Mosaic law. Now, today I preached about how Christ is a better high priest than the Old Testament priest. How Christ 
is having a better covenant, guarantor of a better covenant than the old covenant, than the Mosaic law. That we'll be listening next Sunday. Shall we all rise to our feet? Shall we all rise to our feet and pray together and um, seek the Lord? Heavenly Father, where else do we go, Lord? Where else do we go in this world except run to you? For though you are holy and righteous, you still accept us because you sent your son to fulfill the high priestly ministry to make an atonement for our sin that we may boldly draw near to the throne of grace and find help. So Lord, help us never ever to leave your feet for our life is dependent there. May we never think that the world is better or we are better or the, a method or a strategy is better. No, nothing is better except the throne of grace. And we have that access. Thank you so much, O Lord, for the high priestly ministry of Christ. Today, if there was no high priestly ministry of Christ, just if we imagine how terrible, horrendously different our life will be today. We enjoy your presence. We call upon your name. We run to you. We believe that we have the hope of eternal life. We don't perish in sin. We call you Abba, Father, and we know our identity that we are the children of God. All because, all because, all because, because of the one and the only Savior, our High Priest, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for him. Thank you for sending him as our high priest. In his name we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m Grace and peace be to you.